Hello, and welcome to the Lasting Impact Wellness Podcast, where together we explore ways to help you optimize your health and achieve sustainable well being. No one deserves to live an unhealthy life because they are overtasked, overstimulated, and overwhelmed. I'm your co host, Dr. Laura Hayes, and we'll be joined by Dr. Parker Hayes as we explore new perspectives and strategies rooted in self awareness, deep connections, and science based practices designed to create lasting impact for you and those around you. Please keep in mind this podcast is for the purpose of education, introspection, and community connection and should not be mistaken for medical advice. Be sure to subscribe and share with others. Let's be well together. Hello and welcome back to Lasting Impact Wellness, the podcast that helps you optimize your health and well-being through science-based practices, practical knowledge, and honest discussions. I'm your host today, Dr. Laura Hayes. In this episode, we're going to tackle a big topic, the physiology of the stress response. So much of our day-to-day experience focuses around how our body and mind respond to stress. So much of health and longevity depends upon our ability to manage stress and mitigate its long-term effects. To take this a step further, when I see patients who suffer from panic attacks or those who are in acute pain, part of the treatment from my standpoint, includes arming them with knowledge about what is happening to them physiologically when they experience those episodes. And similarly, friends who come to me with various concerns, new onset of headaches, constipation, neck pain, so on, a lot have various contributory factors and potential etiologies. But part of what we end up discussing is their external and internal sources of stress and how it may be manifesting in their physical body in new ways for them. While much of this may not be brand new information to you, particularly if you can recall some anatomy and physiology classes you may have taken in school, but my goal is to introduce you to a new way of thinking about the stress response in order to start getting a better handle on it when it gets a bit out of control. So to truly understand the physiology of stress, let's define it at its most general level. Stress is your body's natural response to demands or threats, whether that be physical, emotional, or psychological. When your mind or body senses a threat, it sets into motion a cascade of physiological responses preparing you to cope with or confront the source of stress. And lucky for us as humans, this system happens automatically by way of the autonomic nervous system. You may recall that the autonomic nervous system consists of two main branches, the sympathetic branch, responsible for that fight or flight response, and the parasympathetic branch, the rest and digest response. If you imagine back to the Stone Age, when our ancestors were out hunting and foraging for food, their bodies really needed to kick it into high gear when a large predator jumped out at them. They needed this automatic response to activate, rev them up to get the heck out of there. If you could pause that image for a second and zoom in, you'd see quite a few remarkable things happening all at once. Their pupils would be dilated, their mouths dry, and then zooming in closer, you'd see their heart rate speed up, their breath quicken, and their muscles tightened up and ready for action. All of that is triggered and controlled by the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system. Later, when the threat has passed, zooming in on that same person, assuming they were able to outrun that threat, you'd see their sympathetic drive down, and maybe later they'd be relaxing in their cave, eating their well-earned meal while their parasympathetic branch kicked in to help them rest and digest. Okay, so maybe that's a silly example, but that's it in a nutshell. 
Now, we as humans are highly adaptable creatures, and luckily we've evolved significantly since those times. But some of the basic elements of our nervous system remain the same. Threat, response, threat, response. But what happens when there are a lot of threats or a succession of triggers? You may not come face to face with a large predator in the prehistoric landscape, hopefully not, but to your nervous system, other things look like that. The never-ending important work deadlines, the uncertainty of the financial market, the chronic health condition that's debilitating someone you love, or the expectations and demands of parenting. Any number of daily stressors you face, well, your body may not fully know the difference between those things and a bear chasing you. And on the inside, your system is sensing a threat to your existence, and it's going to do its job to protect you at any cost. So in order to understand the process better, in order for us to mitigate its potential detrimental long-term effects on us, let's break it down a little bit. When you're confronted with stress, the sympathetic nervous system springs into action and it initiates that famous fight or flight response, which primes your body for immediate action. Your sensory mechanisms, your ears, your eyes, sometimes both, send information to the amygdala. This is an area of the brain that contributes to emotional processing. The amygdala interprets what it's seeing and hearing, and when it perceives danger, it instantly sends a signal of distress to the hypothalamus, and this is a small region in the brain. Think of it like your command center. And in those instances of perceived threat, the hypothalamus then releases neurotransmitters or chemical messengers that activate the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are in charge of hormone production and release. In the case of the stress response, the two primary hormones released are cortisol, and adrenaline. So let's recap that really quickly, the 10 second version. Your mind or body senses a threat. Your sympathetic nervous system kicks in by your amygdala interpreting that threat. The amygdala sends a signal to the hypothalamus, which then releases chemical messengers to activate the adrenal glands. And in turn, the adrenal glands produce your two main stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. Okay, so hopefully you're still with me. Adrenaline, also known as epinephrine, acts as a rapid-acting stress hormone, so it swiftly prepares our body for action. It does this by constricting certain blood vessels and encourages blood flow to the heart, the lungs, and our major muscle groups, which in turn increases our heart rate, our blood pressure, and our breathing rate. The small airways in the lungs open up, allowing the lungs to take in as much oxygen as possible with each breath. And then that oxygenated blood is sent to the brain, which increases alertness, and our sight, our hearing, and our other senses become sharper too. And in an acute sense, this response boosts your strength and physical performance. You can run faster. It can even dull your body's pain receptors, which is why sometimes you hear stories of people who can still keep running for a long distance after they've been significantly injured. And as I mentioned, these are automatic responses, which happen so quickly that the cascade of hormonal events begins before the brain can fully process what's even happening. Now, after this initial surge, the hypothalamus activates the second component of the stress response system. And this involves the HPA axis. And this is going to consist of the hypothalamus, the H, the pituitary gland, the P, and again, the adrenal glands, the A, the HPA axis, hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands. Now, the HPA axis relies on a series of hormonal signals to keep the sympathetic nervous system revved up. If the brain continues to perceive something as dangerous or a threat, then the hypothalamus releases a hormone called CRH, or corticotropin-releasing hormone. 
That stimulates the pituitary gland to release ACTH, adrenocorticotropic hormone. And then this in turn tells the adrenal glands to start releasing cortisol. And we've all heard about cortisol. Cortisol is the big kahuna. It operates on a slightly slower time scale, and it's arguably one of the most important hormones in our bodies. It affects essentially all of our systems. And aside from its contributions in the stress response, it also affects inflammation, metabolism, blood sugar regulation, memory formation, and a lot more. We will have a future episode dedicated solely to cortisol. But as it pertains to the stress response, when the sympathetic nervous system is activated, cortisol helps regulate energy by increasing glucose availability in the bloodstream. It also modulates the immune system and suppresses non-essential functions like digestion. So basically, it shuts down whatever is not necessary for your immediate survival. All of this sounds incredibly helpful if you're being chased by a bear. Or perhaps a more modern example, if a car is barreling toward you, you automatically move out of the way because of these systems. So short-term stress, known as acute stress, it's a temporary response to a specific event. And in this way, the nervous system is really helpful. Acute stress occurs all the time. It's what helps us get up and go. It teaches us the important lessons of public performance or shows us how we can feel excited before a first date. Once the stressor passes, our body's stress response subsides and hormone levels start to return to normal. The system starts to become problematic if it remains activated and just sort of simmers in the background all the time. That's what leads to chronic stress. Chronic stress keeps that HPA axis, that hypothalamus pituitary gland, adrenal gland axis activated. And after a while, the body starts to show signs of wear, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Persistent surges of epinephrine can damage blood vessels. This can lead to hypertension and increase the risk of heart attacks, stroke, and kidney disease. Fluctuations in cortisol levels can create physiological changes that can be helpful to some of our body's functioning, but harmful to others. For example, it helps to replenish the body's energy stores that are depleted during the stress response, but in turn, it increases blood sugar, and that can contribute to weight gain, increased appetite, and even potentially diabetes. Chronic release of stress hormones has a lot more detrimental potential for our bodies as well. It can suppress the immune responses, which can make it harder for our bodies to fight off pathogens. And this sometimes can result in more frequent illness. People who are under stress sometimes seem like they're sick all winter long. They get more frequent viruses, or some people can have slower wound healing and have a higher risk of developing autoimmune disorders. This chronic level of stress also affects our gastrointestinal tracts. I mean, think about somebody you know with irritable bowel syndrome. I'm sure we all know somebody, if not yourself. And when stressed, blood flow is redirected away from the digestive organs, leading to decreased nutrient absorption, slower digestion, and that can lead to various fluctuations in your GI habits. Constipation is commonly associated with chronic stress, but I'm sure you also can think about people who suffer from diarrhea predominant IBS, and when they're under significant stress for a significant amount of time, their GI function gets completely out of whack. And the impact that stress has on mental health is well documented and certainly should not be overlooked. Chronic stress can contribute to the development or even the exacerbation of anxiety and depression. I mentioned earlier about seeing a lot of patients who have anxiety disorder, but more specifically suffer from panic attacks. It's in those continuous 
patterns of stress hormone release that they find themselves in these cycles of extreme panic, it's helpful for them at times to understand that what they're experiencing is, of course, not in their head, which is sometimes, unfortunately, what their friends or family members may say, but it actually is a very real and profound physiologic response that has to do with the way their hardwiring is reacting and staying activated and revved up, even in situations where logically the person thinks that they shouldn't feel stressed. It can be interesting to talk to a patient or even to talk to a friend about their stress. And a lot of us go along in our daily lives, we're sort of on that autopilot mode and we're handling everything. We have our to-do list, we have our roles and responsibilities that are with us all the time. And we don't often recognize that these are sources of our chronic stress. They're just sort of chalked up as this is just part of my life. But that continuous release of stress hormones, especially if not recognized or managed properly, can really start to affect your mood, your sleep patterns, and have a tremendous effect on your overall well-being. Prolonged stress can lead you to feel overwhelmed or burned out, and it even can lead to decreased cognitive function. Your performance at work may go down, or your performance in the things that you were once really good at may seem to be suffering. And honestly, that's sort of just the tip of the iceberg. I'd like to reiterate again here that when we refer to this bad stress, so to speak, that's the part we're referring to. We're referring to these states of chronic stress. It's also important to note that chronic stress doesn't always stem from major life events, that even your daily hassles or your minor stressors, your to-do list, like I mentioned, these can accumulate over time and contribute to your chronic stress. It can also arise from long-term work-related stress or relationship difficulties, financial pressures, chronic health problems. And this complex interplay between stress, your hormones, and the various bodily systems that they control really underscores the importance of managing stress effectively in order to minimize its long-term effects on your health and your longevity. So if we've established that acute stress is useful, even helpful at times, and chronic stress or that constant level of simmering stress is bad or harmful for us, then what types of tools or strategies can we use right now to start dampening that stress response that a lot of us are living with? How can you do things today that will ultimately create positive impact for your future self? Well, this is where the parasympathetic nervous system comes in. If you recall, the autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic, which we have just discussed at length, and the parasympathetic. It operates in opposition to the sympathetic nervous system. Its primary role is to promote restorative processes and conserve energy and maintain homeostasis. It slows things down, kind of mellows you out. And the parasympathetic nervous system exerts its effects through a series of cranial and sacral nerves, including the vagus nerve. When activated, it stimulates various organs and tissues and does, again, the opposite effects of the sympathetic system. So it slows down the heart rate, it lowers blood pressure, it promotes digestion, and facilitates those restorative processes, the rest and digest. 
As far as neurotransmitters or chemical messengers go in the parasympathetic system, acetylcholine is the primary one involved in signaling this pathway. And acetylcholine is released from the parasympathetic neurofibers onto specific receptors in the target tissues. And when this happens, it elicits a response that slows things down. A benefit of this system and of slowing things down is that yes, it plays a role in restoration and conservation of energy within the body. But the real beauty of it is that it induces feelings of calmness. Overall, it's important to note that the interplay between this parasympathetic and the sympathetic systems is complex. And the overall state of calmness that one gets from this parasympathetic response is a result of the dynamic interaction between those two systems. But the one really cool thing is that while all of these things are happening automatically within our bodies, we do have the ability to influence these systems. So how do we do that? The first tool that you have at your disposal to help counteract the sympathetic and activate the parasympathetic is your breath. When you take a deep intentional breath, this can activate the parasympathetic system. It can also optimize oxygen levels, regulate your carbon dioxide balance, stimulate your vagus nerve, and contribute to calming the body and reducing stress. So there's some real magic that can happen when you take a deep intentional breath. Think about when you're feeling nervous or anxious, the opposite of this. When your sympathetic drive is really revved up, take the example again about a panic attack, or if you've never had a panic attack, then you're a very, very lucky person. But you could think of an example of being nervous about going out on stage or giving a speech. And lots of times in those situations, maybe without noticing, your breath quickens. I mentioned earlier that that sympathetic response speeds up the respiratory rate or the breathing rate. So if we can change that dynamic simply by taking a deep, intentional, slow breath, meaning we can cut that cycle off of that rapid, revved up breathing, that sympathetic response, and start activating that parasympathetic response to help promote that sense of calm, well, then that's one pretty easy way that we can start slowing things down and feeling more in control. Another thing that happens when you focus on deep breathing or are more intentional with your breath, you place more attention on it and that in turn places you in a more mindful state. When you're more mindful, you're shifting your focus to the breath, which can then help divert attention away from the stressors, the negative thoughts, or the thing that you're feeling anxious or worried about. So it really gives you a present moment awareness, allowing for a break from those racing thoughts. And that in turn also can promote a state of calmness. We're going to talk more in future episodes about cultivating mindfulness and things like meditation or yoga, which can be thought of sometimes as a form of moving meditation. But engaging in mindfulness practices or these types of practices that bring your attention to the present moment can really start to cultivate that state of calm awareness. Just starting with a basic deep breathing exercise. So for example, you can breathe in slowly through your nose, fill your abdomen 
and your chest rise and then exhale slowly through your mouth. So that in through the nose, out through the mouth a few times, and then really focusing on making your breath slow and deep and rhythmic, being mindful, staying in that present awareness with your breath. That's a great simple exercise that you can start using today. Another technique that is sometimes practiced is something called progressive muscle relaxation. This can also be a type of meditation. It involves tensing and relaxing different muscle groups in your body systematically. For example, start by tensing a muscle group for a few seconds, maybe your hand, squeezing your hands together, and then release the tension and focus on the sensation of that relaxation. Then move through different muscle groups progressively, working from your head to your toes or vice versa. This can help release that physical tension that you may not even be aware of that you're holding on to and also promote a sense of calmness. There are other techniques such as guided imagery. Guided imagery is a visualization technique that uh, people sometimes use to create calming mental images. To do this, you would close your eyes, imagine a peaceful or serene place, and then really immerse yourself in the details of that environment. You'd visualize yourself in that space and allow yourself to experience the relaxation and the peace that being in that space offers. This is another type of mindfulness practice that can help you shift your focus away from the thing that is stressing you out and really start to bring your awareness into that sense of serenity and peacefulness. Before we wrap things up, let's just talk briefly about some other things that can help you reduce your stress. Physical activity, exercise can also significantly help you to overcome your chronic stressors. We'll have a lot of future episodes that talk about this in a bit more detail. But when you engage in physical activity, that helps release endorphins and can improve your mood, and then that in turn reduces your stress. Also, spending time in nature has been shown to have numerous benefits for mental well-being, including the reduction of stress. So get outside, immerse yourself in some natural environments, a forest, a park, any green space, and escape the hustle and bustle of your everyday life. Lastly, while we will spend a lot of time in the future discussing the importance of relationships and emotional health, Spending time with your friends and family, people who bring you joy and make you feel good, well, that's a no-brainer. That can certainly help to reduce your stress. That was a lot of information we went over today, and I hope that it gave you a little bit better understanding of the physiology of the stress response, and perhaps you're reminded of some tools at your disposal right now to help mitigate its effects on you. Remember that while there may not be a bear chasing you, all of those day-to-day hassles, those commitments, the things that cause you stress that are unique to you do have a way of simmering in the background. So take a moment, pause, take some deep intentional breaths, and think about ways that you can start incorporating some of these simple tools and techniques that you have at your disposal right now in order to start to dampen that stress response and bring yourself a bit more calmness, clarity, and peace. That's it for today's episode. I welcome your constructive feedback and topic suggestions. Please drop me a line at info at lastingimpactwellness.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share with others. Let's be well together. Thank you.